The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Steve Winslow, City Councilor for the City of Malden. And before we get into the program with Steve, I do want to make, uh, if I may, one public announcement. Um, for many years, I've been a member of the Lions, and the current King Lion is Dr. Debbie Wayne, who has an office as an autometrist here in Maplewood Square. It's diagonally across from Carol's funeral home. Right. Um, I'm giving you this information because we, the Lions are currently having a clothing drive, and this time of year, people get a lot of good things for Christmas, Some which sometimes are clothes, and maybe the, the waiters change or they're checking their winter clothes, and they're not quite st- stylish currently, or maybe they don't quite fit the way that people would like, and therefore... You may look for a place to donate them, and if you donate them to the Lions, we in turn bring them over to a nonprofit situation who in turn reimburses the Malden Lions, as it were, and then that money that we do get for those is utilized by us for eye research and things that are related to the eye, which which is one of our big pet projects for the Lions. So... If you have clothes that you're trying to dispose of and you would like to give them to a good cause, this clothing drive will run through the end of the year and it will continue into the first week in January. But at that point, we then take them all, consolidate them, and pass them on to a, a charity source that we, we, we earmark. And so you'll be very helpful to us if you give them to the Lions, and we get the money that then that is for good cause, and you, in turn, do a good deed, and you also free up space for you in your closets and your wardrobe uh, sites for the, your Christmas things or any other items that you bought on sale. Oh, so that's great. that's the announcement for today. Um, now, and I just have a question about that. Where where is there going to be drop boxes, uh, like at Dr. Wayne's office? Or oh, yeah, they she accumulates them there. Okay, okay. So you want to bring them into Maplewood Square? Yeah, Dr. and Wayne's if you have any questions, um, uh, or it, it could possibly be that maybe you need to have them picked up because you don't have the transportation. But my phone number is 781-572-6400. Again, 781-572. Five seven two six four zero zero, and I'd be more than happy to expand on any questions you may have and provide, if necessary, for uh, a pickup. And uh, we would then do what we we're going to do with them. If you had brought them, we'll bring them to the source that we're going to utilize. So again, phone number seven eight one five seven two six four hundred. Well, that's fantastic, Ed. Great. And so, yeah. check your check your wardrobe, Steve, and see okay, what you all right. So, <laughs> we'll see how much any clothes I get and stuff like that. Yeah. So. It's, uh, now, Steve, and, uh, we were just chatting briefly, um, and, and he was uh, he reminded me of uh, a home he bought in Maplewood some years ago, and yeah. I, uh, that as it often happens, uh, being here in the city as long as I have, I I know that family, but. Um, You've been on the council now two terms. You you were right. elected again in November, and we're going to go into that a little bit uh, to explain uh, a, a minor change. Uh, however, but your professional background for those people out who are listening who aren't uh, very knowledgeable about what you, where you're coming from in terms of where you were professionally. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a pretty uh, you know broad professional background. I, I mean, my my college education is both as a chemical engineer, 
and as an environmental attorney. So uh, what brought me out to Massachusetts and my wife was that I started working at the State Department of Environmental Protection on their hazardous waste cleanup programs. And I did that about 10 years. And then, um, as you know, the, uh, the Telecom City project started up here in Malden, along the Malden River, and including Medford and Everett, and uh, a lot of contaminated properties down there. And uh, the MRA needed someone who could help marshal the, um, you know, some of the cleanup work and assessment work that was down there. So uh, I got hired as a, a kind of a, a planner for the MRA and did that for a while. I, I, uh, as that project uh, kind of hit some roadblocks, I ended up over in Somerville doing community development work, and I did that. And now uh, through, through, you know, once I got elected as a counselor, I, I de- dedicated myself full-time to uh, this kind of work. So, I, like I say, it's a background in uh, both kind of environmental law and community planning. That's that's what I've done, and that's what I help bring to the council of uh, both my legal skills and my, my foresight of, uh, you know, what works in communities. And, uh, like I say, I've worked for a lot of different mayors and uh, worked with a lot of different councils and even to town meetings in some instances through my legal work. So um, I just have a lot of good experience uh, working in government, and uh, I, I like to bring that to uh, to the work. And it, and, and that, my career, it's really been about public service. I really like working um, with people to make their lives better, and uh, that's one of the things I, I know, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, like quotes from both, uh, you know, President Biden and uh, Senator Dole, who just passed away, of just if you can make a difference in one person's life a day, you're doing a good work as public servant. So I think you probably bring that spirit as well. So that, that's what I, I, I want to do as a counselor, and uh, and that's what I love about public service is making that Im- impact. Now, uh, um, now, do you have an office down uh, downtown, or are you? I'm. I just, you know, I have uh, you know a home office, so that's what I do. I mean, it, I do. You know, today I'm working. The city council does have offices, so I'm working out of the city council. Oh, actually, because I know we were talking so, when yeah, we would get yeah. together today that you were going to yeah. walk over here, so it was a little. Yeah, I was just down at city hall. Oh, and I we do okay. have you yeah, know yeah. as part of the new city hall. Um, we there is just like before there was there's some offices for the council, so uh, so that's today since I'm doing uh you know ha- running a meeting and uh, going to another meeting and that type of thing it just uh it worked out to be down <laughs> that yeah. way i could come down here on my break so and yeah, now in your situation it, it, the dynamics of politics being what they are mm-hmm. we ended up in this past november um you you were elected four years ago as a counselor at large yes yeah you were re-elected two years ago right and then you announced um and I think it was after Debbie DeMaria, who was also a council at large, decided not to seek re-election. Right. You announced that you were going to run for the open seat, which is uh, in Ward 6. So right. you were in the in the coming January, when you get sworn in, you're, you're on the council. You may even sit in the same seat. Right. But, but not that it makes real, any real difference in terms of what you accomplished, but you're a council at the Ward 6 as opposed to council at large. Yeah, no, I mean, I think people do kind of, you know, kind of wonder. I mean, I know you went from state rep to counselor at large, so it's like one of those people wonder, like, does that, you know, it seems like a, a funny progression. Well, I went from counselor at large because I lost the re-election. <laughs> so, I didn't have that. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that um, I, I mean, some of it is, uh, you know, you, as a counselor at large and as a ward representative, you get paid the same amount of money. I mean, on the city council agenda, we're all just called counselors, so I'm one of 11. So that's one of the things I learned by being on the council. And, um, you know, having, you know, been, you would talk about, you know, that we bought the um, the Mullaney house on, on Jacob Street that had been in the same family for 100 years. We've been there now 30 years ourselves. And so some of it is— um, Just a newcomer to all Just a newcomer. <laughs> so, But, you know, I, I want to make sure my na- neighborhood is well-representative and— um, you know, Councilor Kamel, um, for, you know, personal reasons, decided that um, though he enjoyed serving, it, he just did not have the time to dedicate like he felt um, the neighborhood deserved. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of funny in, in 2017 um, when the Ward 6 seat opened. I had already decided to run at large, and then it, and then it opened. And that time I said, I'm sticking to at large because I was already running very hard there. And this time, you know, Council Carmel, unfortunately, now announced relatively early. And, um, you know, I just really felt that, um, you know, kind of looking at the potential field um, of people in Ward 6 and knowing Councilor Kamel, um, you know, you know, we, I just thought 
I'm going to be a really strong candidate, and I want to make sure that Ward 6, you know, is represented by someone who, who is working on the things that I value. So that's that's the type of thing that, um, you know, it's important to me. Um, you know, my first bit of Malden politicking was when, uh, way back when, when uh, Governor Brown, uh, Jerry Brown from California, was running for president in 92. Uh, we had just, you know, bought our house, and he was running for president against Bill Clinton. And uh, that was the first time I went to a Malden Dems meeting. And He's kind of my political inspiration in terms of really being someone who wants to bring new ideas to government, and that's that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, listen and make uh, you know we can make our community better by being open to ideas, but also um, making sure what ideas we pursue work in our community. So that's the balance, and that's just something that I really felt um, I wanted to bring to make sure that continued in Ward Six. And uh, I think you know my election. Uh, was a very strong uh, support for that, so I'm happy to, that that came through. So, with added interest there, uh, uh, as someone who had some ex- political experience, um, sometimes opportunities, circumstances dictate the successes that you may or may not have in terms of running for office, and there were factors beyond your control sometimes to make a difference. But that he had a vacancy in Ward Six, and you made a judgment at that time to make a to run again, but not to run at large. And you already had one of the three councils at large indicate that she was not going to run for re-election, right. so there was one vacancy. And all of a sudden now, there were two, and, and life being what it is. And so what did happen is you had one incumbent running at large and five people seeking the two open seats. And uh, in mo- as a practical matter, is should you have run for re-election at large, there would only have been one open seat, and all, in all likelihood, the two incumbents would have been successful, and you being one of them, and therefore, one of the two people who will be sworn in in January would be sitting there as a winner because they wouldn't have won. And uh, it just shows you show sometimes opportunities. And I don't think the people that were running were aware there was going to be two seats when they announced. No, I mean actually, I I committed to Ward Six before Debbie announced. So, oh, you did. Um, so oh, I, I didn't did. So that. yeah, I, I committed probably like in March or April when Dave. Oh, I thought it was the announced, other day. Oh. And, and Debbie announced you know a month or so later. So yeah. so I had committed and yeah. and. Um, you know, like just ha- had happened in 2017. I mean, I made that decision um, at a you know, political and personal level, and I, you know, once I made that commitment, I was committed to it, and then you know, come whatever, and that did open up uh, the opportunity, and it was good to see a very competitive councilor large race, and I- I'm looking forward to working with, uh, you know, both uh, Craig Spatafora, um, who's been there for tw- you know over 20 years now, and newcomers, you know, Karen Hayes and. Carrie McDonald, I think they're going to bring some new and good ideas to the council. So I'm excited about that. So it's, uh, you know, we have a, incumbents did very well, um, but, you know, we have some newcomers. And, and we actually have Chris Simonelli coming back uh, as Ward 7 Councilor. So like it's, Lazarus. It's, yeah, that's it. So, so <laughs> it's good. All the, so, yeah. the Phoenix yeah, yeah, rise so, from the yeah, ashes. So I think it's, you know, it'll be, uh, huh. you know, good. I mean, I, I think that it is, uh, you know, people yeah. got out there and ran hard, and uh, we'll see what happens from here. So. Just to mm-hmm. contrast, your, your two terms so far, mm-hmm. um, you, you got reelected and started serving in January two right. years ago, yeah. and uh, all of a sudden, come March, people start getting sick, sick and with the okay. virus, and yeah. so um, you not only didn't have um, meetings in person, but you also had. Uh, Zoom meetings and difficulties, and maybe just kind of comparing what your experience was and the difference between your first term and your second term. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I empathize a lot with Councilor uh, Amanda Linehan because she pretty much got elected and had to go through this. Um, I mean, one of the things I do have to say is meeting in person um, as a body of 11 people, you can get things done a lot quicker by meeting in person. As much as Zoom is a great tool and, and has some capabilities, um, there's just it's just cumbersome the technology and you know even even under the law we have to when we we have to do everything by roll call vote so it, you know often you know as you know I've been a counselor there's there's some things that are sort of routine and that it's great where you can say everybody all, everybody say I and it's you, you're done with it in you know 30 seconds versus you know having to do a roll call so it's it's more efficient. Um, you know, I, I was able, like I say, I have a home office, so I was able to set up my home office to handle the council meetings for me. It was, uh, you know, uh, I'm 
relatively technically savvy. It wasn't it wasn't a big issue, um, you know. And there was there's some advantages that I could have all my council notes right there and that type of thing. So, but I, I think it was a good decision for the council. Uh, you know, I know especially before vaccines. I mean, you know, my family. You know, I, I was living with two vulnerable people, so. I thought it was good not to um, to have the choice to be that, and um, you know, and I know a lot of fellow counselors, uh, you know, had risk factors or living with family members. So I'm glad, you know, the timing was well that we had that technology that worked and uh, it worked relatively effectively. And um, I mean, I, I think generally the council would like to, you know, there's some good things that came out of it in terms of um, you know looking forward of having easier opportunity for the public to not only watch us at MATV, but interact with us. So, um, so I think there's some, some benefits going forward. I mean, certainly like with UMA, we'd like to, to make sure we can kind of maximize those things so that, um, you know, people can, you know, we do have now, one of the things we did in 2018 when I, I, I was sworn in was we did adopt public comment so people can now come. Long to, overdue. So that that was I give credit to Councillor Di Maria as president who did that and you know that um, that's been helpful. I mean, like I say, it's limited. I mean, people can come in and talk for a couple minutes. They have to talk on an issue that's on the agenda. It's not just an open discussion, and, and it can't be personal. Um, you know, against councillors, it has to be saying this is I believe for it against a particular issue or have a comment on the issue that's coming up on the agenda. And I, I think that's a it's a fair way. I know when I first joined the council, I could see the frustration, and particularly of young people, and they're pretty tech savvy. They were showing up to our meetings and like, how do I say anything? And so um, I could see the frustration um, with with our younger people of not being able to speak directly to the council on issues important. So I think it's it's worked out well. It's um, it really hasn't been that much time consumption. I mean, some days we'll have an issue that brings out a lot of people. Um, but other days it's, you know, just a few or, or not much. So I think it's good. It's a, a good way for the public to, to get engaged and hear in different ways. Yeah, sure, people can call us on the phone or send emails, but to have that direct face-to-face with the council is, is important. So I, I think it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's uh, you know, getting the democratic process to be a little more transparent, and uh, I, I think it's worked out well. So it's, uh, yeah, I actually watched uh, uh, some of the meeting last night, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, I've watched meetings in the past. Uh, the uh, I thought there was a fairly decent crowd there as right. spectators, some of whom I'd spoken. Like yeah. I didn't get to watch the early part of the meeting, but um, all things considered, I thought that um, the number of people there was was impressive, and I didn't know whether that's usual, but apparently it's not. Some meetings have more people than other. Than, yeah, I mean, it varies. I mean, you probably yeah. saw it as, you know, there's sometimes more controversial issues. But I think last night was a good example that I think if we didn't have public comment, we may very well not have had that kind of turnout. You might it have had a few, sense if you, yeah. you know, it was really an opportunity, um, you know, this issue about um, race, racial equity and um, that commission and having the, the council itself go through some diversity training um, was something that people wanted to speak out about in the community. And it was good to have that opportunity for the community to speak up and speak directly to the council about how important that was and um, and the council to, to, to react to that. I think it was showed the good potential of having uh, public engagement. And I, I think, in, in, you know, that is a type of thing that, you know, I think one of the frustrations we have in this area of social media is that, um, you know, it's you can talk, you know, on your computer or, or through Facebook or whatever and talk past each other. And to have this forum where we have to, you know, as counselors, you know, sit and face the public and have that comment, I think it's it's good to have that outlet to, um, for the public. It's a, it was a, it's good that we can have that. So, one thing, my own observation about the speakers, the public comments, uh, the people that came forward had masks on, mm-hmm. and were were they as hard to hear in person as it was on the TV? Um, I mean, I think it worked out well. We did allow people, if they wanted, they, you know, when they're speaking, they can put their mask down. But and, they didn't, um, yeah. the ones that I saw. Some, some may not have. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with Omicron coming, you know, people are a little more concerned. But um, I, I didn't have any issue. I mean, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I didn't have any issues in there. I mean, maybe the, you know, you know going over um, 
you know, microphones and through, uh, you know, television network, maybe it's a little bit more hard to hear. I mean, you have the advantage in the room that you have not only the you know, amplification, but, you know, hearing them directly, you know, speak. I, I didn't have any personal issues about hearing what people express, so. Well, one of the things about Zoom meetings is, um, as you, as an, uh, I've watched some of those past meetings, and um, they were certainly informal because the people might be having a light dinner, <laughs> or they might be uh, having distraction from somebody in the background, and so right, right. It's, it is a, a, it's more difficult to to deal with them from from from, uh, from different perspectives than it is to go to a a meeting downtown and uh it, it can be hard i mean it's funny i had i had um in the summer we you know as you know the council typically does not meet over the summer and as happenstance worked out that one meeting got scheduled during a vacation i had planned and so um i tried to work around and, and with zoom i could try to attend and uh you know I, the hotel i found a you know i thought what was an empty conference room and we started the meeting and Literally, as you know, Council President Anderson asked me to start speaking. Someone came in and said, "We have this conference room in 15 minutes for uh, like our, our Tuesday prayer meeting." As I go, <laughs> so it's the type of thing you can. Uh, some funny things can happen um, to you um, when you're remote. So it, it is uh, uh, some unexpected things can happen. I, the other thing I thought was with funny with Councillor Anderson was that um, you know he would often you know he lives over on Mills Mills. And um, he, you know, his office is down in his basement. Sometimes his his reception isn't the greatest. And then the one time he was down in, uh, I think, the Aruba on the beach almost. And he got better. He came in better down in Aruba than he did in his basement in a Mill Street. So, so it is one of these interesting things with technology of how uh, it brings us you know, together across the world and that type of thing. And, uh, but it, it is, can, can create some funny, funny, uh, happenstance that way. But I, I think it's good that, um, you know, that there, there, that I think we should embrace that. I mean, I do generally agree that we should be, um, the, definitely a quorum of the council should be present, but, you know, f- counselors do have lives and other obligations and it's, it's good to have some ability to sometimes, come in, uh, you know, by electronics um, to um, make sure you were fulfilling our duties. And, uh, um, you know, given that the meetings are all, you know, being broadcast anyway, I think it's, uh, and our new city hall has all this technology, we should take advantage of it. So, so. Well, you know, in a, in a small way, too, it, it could, and I was thinking that you were talking about in the, with the Zoom meetings, the the way it works, even if you uh, get the vaccination and you, but you come in contact with someone, there are some protocols to follow, and it would be right. that if you had formal meetings at the city hall, they wouldn't be able, a person might not be able to attend, and therefore right. by being uh, uh, situated at home, they can still participate in, and and involve themselves, right. and they would be uh, not eliminated from being uh, out of the loop, so to speak. So yeah. that's a that was a big. Big difference. Uh, by the way, mm-hmm. in terms of the city hall, how open is that now? Uh, um, I mean, people can come in. I mean, you do have to wear a mask. So, I mean, during a lot of COVID, you, I mean, at some part, the first part of COVID, you know, city hall was closed. People were working remotely. Then the next phase was city hall was open to employees only, and, and their supervisors tried to work it out so that people uh, maybe only had half the office in any one day. Um, now we're back to uh, you know the public can come in. Um, you don't need appointments. You um, you do have to you know, have a mask. Uh, I, I don't know if you necessarily need appointments now. Like uh, there was a time when you had to have an appointment to come in. But yeah, I think that you know I mean, it's obviously sometimes good depending on what you're coming into. That's good to do. But um, yeah, I don't. Uh, you, you do have to check in as you come in. But uh, I think it's relatively normal. Besides. We do still have a mask mandate in city halls. So. Do, do they have someone in the lobby that screens you as you come in? Yeah, I mean they do have. We do have someone, a greeter, um, and, you know, greeters that are there, and so they, uh, you sign in and check where you're going and that type of thing. So there's that that level of uh, thing, but it's it's pretty uh, informal that type of thing. I think it's much to help the public, you know, go to this floor, that floor. So I think it's a uh, something that will continue, uh, you know, post COVID or whatever that uh, we have. Uh, 
Yeah, some time back when the thing was in the in stages that you referred to about the separations of uh, mm-hmm. and remote and whatever, I, I had a, an errand to do at City Hall, and uh, I walked in and, and into the lobby. Someone just was coming out, and okay. I walked in, but I got that's as far as I got because there was someone there to screen me, and yeah. since I didn't have an appointment, that okay. was the end of that. But I thought there was any big deal. Yeah, but, uh, no, I think it's, yeah, I, I can check in on that. But, yeah, I mean, the nice, uh, you know, if people haven't been able to come down, I mean, I think one of the things that's really nice about the new City Hall is the, the thought of how the public engages with it is that we have several, um, you know, Four, basically four meeting rooms on the first floor. So it's very easy. I, you remember the old city hall, you kind of walk in and there was sort of some steps up and steps step down. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, the city. A lot you know, of the, bricks. A lot of bricks, a lot of steps. This is very much more accessible. I mean, you can literally see the council deliberate right from uh, Pleasant Street and that type of thing. So, um, you know, we're, you know, right there. It's much more accessible. Um so that is a, that is a nice thing. Uh, I think another another really nice feature is, um, you know, and, and maybe this will get used more as the weather gets better. And uh, there's a nice little um, kind of a patio off um, the top of the fourth floor near the the mayor and the, the council offices that potentially can be used in in uh, the good weather for a kind of outdoor meetings. And the nice thing about that is if you remember the old mayor's office like you had, that you'd look at and you'd look at, you'd come in and you see Boston. It was really, and the nice thing is you look at, and you look at Malden, you look at Pleasant Street. So I think that's a kind of nice thing, a little bit of changing of, um, you know, that of what you see from City Hall. You're, we're focusing on Malden not being like having that big dramatic view of Boston. It's, it's uh, I, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like the thought that, are uh, one of the best views from City Hall is actually of Malden. So, yeah. Other than the street parking and the surface parking mm-hmm. in the parking lot mm-hmm. on Pleasant mm-hmm. Street, there really isn't any other spot for people to park if they were going to City Hall, is there? I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same as it had been. I mean, you know, there's still the Jackson Street garage if people want to come down. Um, I mean, there's on-street parking on both Pleasant and Exchange Street. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, after seven o'clock, if you're coming down for a council meeting, the uh, parking lot, you know, by the um, Department of Education is is free and open to the public. All the meters are so. Um, so th- you know, that is uh, there's even a little free parking uh, kind of behind the senior center um, as well. So that it, it the parking situation hasn't changed uh, for the council. There is some parking under the J Malden building that we have access to, but um, you know, for the public, that you know, there's. Uh, um, you know, it has, uh, you know, there's probably a little bit more parking down there, to be honest, than the old city hall, because, you know, it was kind of a dead end with no parking. Now, um, you know, literally, um, you know, some people get the opportunity to really park right next to city hall, and then, you know, there's 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 parking uh, down there. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit actually more accessible than it had been for the public. So, and there are the, all the parking garages down there. We have, uh, if, you, if you need to be downtown longer, there's that opportunity to park those garages Malden, i think probably is the only community in the mm-hmm. state that uh doesn't have a standalone building as city hall or don't own, don't own in total their property they're a condo association right uh, how do they handle that is that under uh, you know eric rubin of the facilities department works with you know the condo owner i mean you know we you know we uh you know we own the condo, so it would be just like, you know, there may be some things that the condo association has to take care of. I think like the plaza that's going to be named after Ed Lucy uh, is, is technically owned by the condo association. But, you know, we're working out that, that uh, they've, uh, they're supporting naming that after you. So, and um, I'm still above the ground. You're that's... still above the ground. It's good to get recognized <laughs> before that. At least as of now. <laughs> okay, so, so that's something that I guess is going to the DPW Commission, but the council did pass that. That uh, Councilor Di Maria forwarded that, and everybody yeah. supported that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's, you know, it, it would be like if you own your uh, your home, you know, a residential condo, you have, you know, a, you know, a condo structure and that type of thing, and you work on that. So I think it's, uh, it seems to be working out, and I think, um. It, it's uh, it's unique, but I, I don't I don't think uh, I, I mean it feels like a city hall. I mean it doesn't really feel that much different. You figure, you know, 
in a way, we were part of a condo before. It was called Government Center. It wasn't called City Hall. And we had federal and state offices you know, in there as well. And there was a Government Center Commission. So it's in some ways, it's just you know, being in it, an arrangement with a private entity uh, rather than government entities. And I think, you know, in some ways, having residences and retail, I mean, you, you just look at having you know, opened up Pleasant Street and the nice new businesses that are down there. Um, it's really bringing some new new energy um, down to the whole square. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's been a, a good good o overall move for the city. And, uh, um, you know, so, so I, I think it's, uh, you know, we have the same complications. And maybe it's good to have a, you know, a private entity um, that we're dealing with rather than government offices in a way. So. So we'll see how it plays out. So yeah. now you you've been associated um, <laughs> even long before you ran for right, office with right. Mike to yeah. the Sea. Yes, yes. So yeah, and, and it seems to have moved a lot long uh, along quite well over yeah, recent it's, years. Yeah, it, it's come a long way since uh, you we had you bicycle down at St. Joe's parking lot. I remember <laughs> when we almost lost you when you were mayor there. So that was the yeah um, that was the early days. I think we that was even before bike to see. That was when we I think we were still working with the the recycling committee because we were recycling tires and bikes. Uh, oh yes. So I think that was Mr. Angelo's bike who lived on Tyler Street. His his wife is still there. So but um um yeah uh Bike to the Sea going strong. I mean, I have stepped back from being a board member. I, for long years, years, I was either president or a very active board member. I have to say it's great to see the, the organization has, has grown beyond me. Um, the exciting thing on the bike trail is that, um, you know, through per persistence, you know, led by you know, mayors like you and Mayor Howard and Mayor Christensen, um, you know, the final result is happening that, that um, you know, the, the trail this year is pretty much paved all the way from Everett to Lynn. Uh, I was over um, with uh, Mayor uh, McGee, former Senator McGee, over in Lynn recently, and they had a ribbon cutting for the Lynn stretch of the trail. Uh, we, we're anticipating probably in the springtime to have a whole grand opening of the whole trail from Everett all the way over to Lynn, so very exciting. I mean, actually... Uh, was at an event, you know, uh, very recently with uh, Governor Baker down at the when you know the the Encore Casino, and he's announced a commitment. To, there's a, a plan um, to actually buy, you know, the, the trails being connected um, all the way to the casino, and there um, where the old Draw Seven drawbridge used to be, the plan is now to build a fifty million dollar bridge that will connect the casino to the Assembly Square T-Station via pedestrian bike bridge. So the governor's committed to getting that, and I had a little update yesterday that the, all the permitting, they're, they're pursuing the permitting, and that it's a process because it's any bridge takes, you know, approval by the Army Corps engineers and, uh, um, you know, uh, the state, uh, what do you call Chapter 91 licenses and stuff like that. But a very strongly supported uh, project. I, I give credit to uh, the Mystic River Watershed Association for being a big champion of that um, and, and the city of Everett. But uh, that's going to be a big thing because you know, the vision was ultimately to have a trail um, that would lead into Boston at one end and then to, to Lynn and Nahant Beach at the other. So the, you know, that's why we sort of morph from being called Bike to the Sea that the trail is now called the Northern Strand Trail. And the, the vision is that it essentially starts uh, by the Museum of Science in Charlestown and it is this sort of northern strand of the, the, the Charles River and Emerald Necklace. So we're sort of a strand off of that that comes north. And, uh, you know, it's just there's a lot of excitement in the, um, you know, the people who use trails about how significant this is. Um, you know, one of the things is that um, our trail is part of the um, kind of the regional trail network. So it's going to be a trail you can take from Boston and Malden all the way up to like Salisbury. And it's also part of a national trail system called the East Coast Greenway. So, um, so what? the East Coast Greenway. So this is a trail that's being planned that will go all the way from Calais, Maine to um, – Key West, Florida. So, um, so like a twenty-five hundred mile an hour, twenty-five hundred mile long trail, and so, um, so it's a really key part. Um, you know, obviously getting north out of Boston, as you know, if you drive or however you get out, it's difficult. So, having our trail 
be part of that. It's, it's a big thing. So it's uh, especially that $50 million bridge will be kind of a, a big uh, keystone of it. But it's, uh, you know, it's a really significant. Uh, it's technically going to be part of what they call Bicycle Route 1. So you like it'll be a, a marked system all the way. So if you really get ambitious, I'm, I'm hoping uh, you know at some point maybe to tackle more of that. Um, but um, I got to do that. I'm getting a little. I turned uh, 61 this year, so uh, I got to get out there and do some of this while I can. But um, you know, so so it is very interesting to see that. And occasionally you see someone riding a longer distance on the trail. You see that you know, on a bike they have a lot of bags and they're carrying. So you know, people do do distance but most of the people on the trail uh, are local people so so it is so. i ended up um a while back uh, mm-hmm. coming out of uh, daniel street where uh, okay. on the cross street okay. mm-hmm. and i saw where they had narrowed that area of the street down for bicycle okay. use which mm-hmm. is you know part mm-hmm. of the street now so yeah, yeah. it was a little uh, Unusual for me to realize the cars that were parked there were parked there because there was the strip there preventing them from going to the curb. So that is something new. I mean, you know, when you know I started kind of working uh, with bicycling in general, um, you know, the standard thing was to have a uh, you know to have bicycle lane. You know, you have a, you know the sidewalk, the curb, parking, and then a bicycle lane. And what we you know, people who Designed bicycle trails and bicycle lanes have learned is that you know, one thing that holds people back from bicycling is feeling safe. And by having the bicycle lane between the cars and the sidewalk, people feel a lot safer. And this is something they, they started in like the, the Netherlands and Amsterdam, and, and they actually did it up in Montreal. And what they found in Montreal is like, you know, you know, a lot more people ride when they, they have that that the car between them and 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 travel so um so that's really the idea that um it's just a safer um you know it's it's proven to be safer i mean by a a, one of these kind of cycle tracks or separated bike lanes it's 80 percent safer than just riding on a a street without that um a typical bike lane is only about 50 percent safer so it's a much safer facility and i i know when i like montreal has a whole network of these trails and um what they you know it's amazing you'll see you know kids as young as eight out there biking on their own and it may yeah you could be up there you see you see 80 year olds and so it's it, it 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 really makes it um people feel safer and it is in fact safer so that that's the there and what we did that's called the willow street greenway and um you know, I work with Councillor Anderson, and I expect to work with Councillor Simonelli on that. Um, that the intent there is is to go from the Lincoln Common um, and connect up Tartikoff Park, Kerstead Park, which is right there on Eastern Avenue, and then cross Eastern Avenue, and you could get to the Northern Strand Trail. And then there's Roosevelt Park, and then the Salemwood School. So it'll create create this neighborhood connecting path to the Northern Strand, and so. What you see, we've just we got a state grant for no cost to the city. We got a hundred thousand dollars to stripe that out, and you know because um, you know Willow Street was built, you know as an urban rural street, super wide. And one of the complaints, I mean, another purpose of that is uh, when you have really wide streets, people go faster. So another component of the the reason why the streets laid out that is, is lanes are narrower, and that helps people keep people. Uh, slower, and you know, one of the, the complaints I heard a lot about, you know, when I you know going to Suffolk Manor, you know, as a, a counselor, is that um, that the seniors there were very much concerned about crossing the street to various places. So that's that's another thing. It achieves a safety goal, uh, and, and and ultimately the ultimate goal will be to take that kind of striped area for bikes and actually turn it into almost like a bicycle sidewalk, and so. Um, so that there'll be basically a bike trail you can take from Lincoln Common and Suffolk Manor all the way over to the Northern Strand into Salemwood School. So, so that that's kind of we, we this is a, an initial investment to see how the community um, likes it. And and so far, I mean, I know we had th- several community meetings. We brought it up with the city council. Everybody was very excited about that. And um, I'd say that. Um, you generally, it's worked out. Uh, I mean, certainly people wonder. It's a little different, 
but um, generally it's working out, and I, I think then it's it's a matter of you know, like Councillor Seminelli and I and others working to get the money to actually make it the vision of this greenway that's basically connecting up four major parks. You know, uh, the other thing I did wor was work with Councillor Anderson on was in the community of come up with some master plans for for Kerstead Park and Tartikoff Park. So um, to have those improved um, and uh, and help you know create those you know some better green spaces that are connected. Um, so that's that's some of what the the plan is, and they're very some bold plans. They're very expensive, so we got to figure out how to get that money. But exciting opportunities. So um, that's coming up. So there have been in the prior the, the, the type of uh, uh, situation is now generated more than. That, like, for instance, Cambridge has had bi bikes uh, yeah. years ahead of us. But there's also on occasion been s tragedies where tr vehicles may be making a right-hand turn or a truck with blocked vision or whatever, and all of a sudden you get a news item on the, the indicating that there's someone got hit by a car. And, of course, in, in sometimes the tragedy is fatal. So yeah. I, I don't know whether that's been a drawback with, in the minds of the public. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I'm actually, you know, th this week is something called the Moving Together Conference and um, that, that the Mass DOT puts on, and I, I try to attend that as often as possible. And, you know, the speaker yesterday talked about, um, it's interesting, across the world, um, and especially in developed countries, um, the rate of pedestrian bicycle accidents um, is, is decreasing, except in the United States. So some of it is some of the decisions we're making as a as a nation. Well, we don't respect that the drivers don't respect people. Well, and so <laughs> so and, and one of the things is that by you know one of the things is that you know, sometimes we talk about people say well, you know you know one and you probably know as a counselor one often one of the biggest complaints you would get is people speeding through the neighborhoods. So so you know as a counselor you hear that persistently. I know we we I work with Councillor Crow and Councillor Murphy. We everybody knows we've lowered the speed limit through the city to 25 miles an hour. So, so that shows there's wide support to do that. The, the, the challenge is, is that putting up a sign doesn't get people to run slow, right slow. Actually, you have to make design a road that, that discourages people from right, driving that fast. And so, so that's some of it. Um, that, that is the purpose of what you see in Cambridge and Somerville. And you know, over the course of time, that I mean, it has two dynamics that— I mean, in Somerville, I mean, I, I worked there a bit, and they are now like the top bicycle community in the east, on the East Coast because of the investment they've made. And so the nice thing is, and in Cambridge, the investments they've made, they've, you've seen um, all this development around um, Kendall Square and all the biotech and stuff like that. Um, they've been able to do that and because they have very aggressive plans to have people arrive by transit, and bike and walking, um, and so you can get all that investment in your community without having as much traffic issues. So, um, so it, it's always a balance. I mean, any traffic planning, um, it is. But you know, one of the things is you know the, we have this. We actually have gotten com what we call complete streets grants, which is the effort is you know f you know I remember you probably remember Jack Kelly, uh, our old uh, city engineer of. At that time, back in the, in the 90s when we started Bike to the Sea, um, traffic engineers were tr you know, and, and, and engineers were trained to prioritize only motor vehicle traffic. The whole science of traffic engineering was how fast. And you judged everything you did about a road as how fast you could get the vehicles. Now the philosophy you know, that's changed in the last 30 years, it's, it's about moving people. So... This is, you know, we see one of the things uh, coming up is we're working on, we have some bus lanes that have gone on Florence Street and we're going to do some on Center Street. And the point of the, some of that is that 40% of the people traveling down Center Street on any day are on the bus. And so, part, you know, it's fair in the, in the overall scheme of things to say shouldn't a, those people have a good chunk of the right-of-way. So it's, that's a little bit of it. And by, you know, moderating speed, um, you make things safer. Like for me, you know, I, I remember I had an appointment over in Medford, and, I, and I, I had to drive from Maplewood over to Medford Square, and I drove down Route 60. And, you know, from Maplewood up to, you know, the Bargain Outlet, um, you know, there by Franklin Street, tra traffic went about 25 miles an hour. 
And once you got past that, that spot where the, the lanes went from one lane in each direction to two lane, suddenly people are going 35 miles an hour. And, and where is that? That's by the high school, by the, um, you know, the, um, the Chevrolet school. So here, right in the heart of our city where we have kids walking and crossing the street, we have the fastest traffic on Route 60. So, so there's, there's, there's a safety issue there. I've been working with um, kids that are involved with the Asian Community Development Corporation. Um, they have a youth group that's out of the high school wanting to make that area safer. So that's, that's part of it is to try to create some, some balance that um, our roads are not all about how fast you can go. And, you know, as we do traffic studies, you know, uh, one of the things I worked on in Ward 6, and I'm very happy to get reelected that this is happening, is that Broadway, the crossing of the bike trail at Broadway, is very dangerous. And there have been people struck there. And, um, you know, we did tra- speed analysis. And people at some, sometimes on Broadway, especially off hours, were going 50 miles an hour down a street that has homes on it. And so um, so that's the type of thing we, we have, you know, working to make our roads safer. And, um, you know, a, a road, you know, moving through Malden at 25 or 30 miles an hour is pretty efficient. You don't really need to go 50 miles an hour. And if you go 50 miles an hour, you're just going to get to a stop sign quicker. So that some of the philosophy is, is uh, you know, if if someone gets struck at 30 miles an hour, they're, they're 50-50 whether they're going to live or die. At 20 miles an hour, that's, that's, they're probably going to live. So that, there's a huge speed difference. So that's, it's a safety thing. And like I say, you know, we have, since I've been on the council and, and with Councilor Crow and Councilor Murphy, um, we've passed this complete street policies to try to focus on making our streets safer for the neighborhoods and, 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 and balancing things out that, um, you know, one of the things I comment on and is that, um, you know, just ha- as as it works out, I mean, um, you know, people who ride the bus are not n- don't have a strong voice in our transportation planning. So we are, you know, just put in a plug here. Um, we're starting a transit action plan, which is the first time in decades or if years where we're we're looking at how our transportation network works. And some of this is to see um, how we can make our buses run better. So if anybody's interested, we are going to set up a committee that's going to help guide that. And, and we want people who ride the bus to come and help us. Um, that, you know, that's, we, we need people who not only drive, but we need people who walk, who take the bus to help us plan our, our, our transportation future. And there's a great opportunities there. So that's one of the things that I do. I mean, in, you know, as Ward 6, I, I am committed to... Um, you know, work to make our traffic signals work better. I mean, we have traffic signals that probably, you know, even were there when you started as mayor. We, we haven't invested a lot, and our traffic signals are very antiquated, and that slows people down. So, um, so you know, we have to look at things, you know, in a systematic way. So that's uh, something I continue working on. I'm happy to say one of my goals coming in as counselor at large was to hire a transportation planner, and we do finally have someone working full-time on board, and I'm excited to have that John Alessi, who's our, you know, a traffic planner. To Which is working. name? John Alessi. So, oh. yeah. So, so, so we're excited to have, you know, staff working on these issues that are critical. And, and it's funny, I, you know, I was working on this stuff related to Maplewood Square and reading back, you know, a former mayor back in 1954 announcing that the state's going to pave Broadway. And it's like, if we come up with plans that can... Um, we can apply to the state and federal government for money to redo Broadway or redo, um, you know, Center Street. But we have to have, um, you know, a good plan that, you know, meets state standards and federal standards. And complete streets is the standard. So if we don't pursue some of these things, we end up, you know, we're going to have crappy roads because we just can't afford to spend the, the 10 or $20 million to fix a Broadway or fix a Center Street. So um, we need help. And, you know, a little bit of that is some give and take of saying, uh, you know, we will meet the standards. And I, I have you say, I mean, Exchange Street, you see, I think that's that's laid out nice. It's paved nice. It has a one of these cycle tracks on there, but there's parking. We have more parking on Exchange Street now than we had in the past. So it's 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 worked out. And uh, I think it, uh, you know, it will create vitality there. So um, so it's it's a balance. And we we. We still know a lot of people in Baltimore are going to be driving personal vehicles, but um, that's not the be-all and end-all of our traffic stuff. So, Do you think that the, with the high cost of gas that more people, may, may, particularly younger people, local, 
uh, uh, chores to do that they're going to use a bike instead of a car? I mean, it's, you know, heck, I've been talking about that since I was a teenager, so it didn't seem to work back then. Um, you know, that's certainly a factor. I mean, I think certainly, um, I think more climate change. I think people, um, young people, want to know that we're working towards a carbon-free um, transportation system. And and who knows what that's going to be? I mean, when you look at, you know, Tesla's costing sixty or $70,000 and having charging stations, and um, is that really a practical way for a community like Malden to go and plan its transportation future? I mean, Malden was built pretty much before we had individual motor vehicles. So we can we can um, advance our community without having to rely so much on that. And, uh, I mean, I, I do think that motor vehicles will be part of that. But um, we, you know, unlike some communities that were built so spread out and all totally rely on a car, we have the, the density and, and the road system that supported, you know, a, a time when we didn't have to rely on that. So so we have to kind of some, – some of it's looking back and saying – you know, our bus routes basically run on our old trolley lines, you know, and, uh, you know, our bike trail is now on a long rail line that was, you know, basically helped really Malden grow. I mean, before that Saugus Branch rail line was there, there was Malden was just some outlying farms. Um, so we can um, build off the past and, and, and learn from the past. So I think that's the balance. And we have a city where you can walk. I mean, that's why I'm working so hard to to try to save the fabric of Maplewood Square. I mean, you have a place, a walkable business neighborhood that you started your business at. Um, we want to preserve that opportunity for future Maldonians to to start a business like you did in Maplewood Square. So, um, so that's one of the things, and that's something that you know you could you could walk to your business or uh, short drive or whatever. Um, that's that the type of thing that we have the opportunity to do, and um, you know that's it's all part of like I say we we have to plan on that. Um, but I, I do think you know young people, um, and I think it's reflected in the vote for me, where um, you know my my opponent was opposed to bus lanes, opposed to bike lanes, and I won you know, pretty substantially. And I think that uh, that you know we we have to figure out the future of them all, and we don't know there's a e-bikes and scooters and and maybe autonomous cars and buses there's there's a lot of transportation choices that we're facing and so we have to you know, we have to work that out what, what's going to work for best for all and so yeah now i i saw you on television last mm. night okay. because of the council yeah. meeting yeah but also you were on the news channel yes yes and uh it's had to do with the situation involved maplewood which is ward yeah. six yeah and it's the charter school recent purchase yeah. of property on lebanon yeah. street yeah. And uh, I'm, I got a little confused because uh, there was uh, there were restaurants and there were other b- commercial businesses in the property mm-hmm. that they purchased, and it used to be a bank. And yep. they also bought a, a house on Columbia Street, yep. which yep. I assume means they're going to have some kind of a, a construction uh, process there. To, uh, but I don't even know what the law is now. I thought that, that there was some limitation on, on evictions, and, and yet there seems to be some question as far as— Well, there's a couple of dynamics. Um, you know, right now, Malden does have a, an eviction moratorium that the Board of Health and the mayor put in place. Due, is that due to residential COVID. and commercial? Residential. Residential I, mean, so that's, I, I don't it's think three, it applies three commercial. Three family or less? Or? So, um, I, yeah, I, I think it's broadly. I mean, I think you just can't okay. evict for without cause. So— um, so we have that eviction moratorium in place right now, um, and so that is staying in place as long as kind of a COVID emergency. The Board of Health hasn't reversed that, so that is in effect. So that is something locally. But hasn't there been court cases to uh, throw? There that? was a Boston court case, but I mean ours is, hasn't you know been challenged in that way. So it's still in effect. We haven't been told by a court not to do it. I mean, one of the things we have committed to, and Malden's been a leader. I, I give credit to the, the Redevelopment Authority now, our Community Development Department, of being a leader in, you know, we've got a lot of federal money that we can dedicate to um, to rent relief. So we've been working both with you know, tenants and our landlords to make sure that, you know, while um, people are impacted by COVID, you know, either their jobs or, or that, I mean, having difficulty in paying rent, that, you um, that the fact that someone can't pay rent is not an excuse to evict someone. 
that um, so that we have been one of the leaders in the Boston area of getting you know rent relief to tenants, and that goes directly to the landlord. So it's benefiting, it's keeping tenants in place, but also making sure that um, you know landlords. A lot of them are small business you know people as well, and they uh, they need to make mortgage payments and that type of thing, uh, even bigger ones. So so we're making sure that the money is flowing to um, keep people in place and also make sure that um you know building owners are are making sure that they're paying their mortgages as well so it's well out, the, so. the 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 yeah. thing with the charter school is um again i don't i may not have all the facts yeah, yeah, yeah. and you you being in the uh, on mm-hmm. the, on the front line so to speak but the, the businesses as they mm-hmm. understand in the property that the charter school purchased mm-hmm. i mean some of them have leases yeah, which don't run out until 2023. Right, right. So even though they, they face the day they're going to have to go, they have uh, a locked-in protection for a period a of time. Bit. Yeah, it may not end up in their favor because now they've got to find someplace else to go, right, especially right. if they're a restaurant. Right, right. But the people that they were uh, notices went out on made it sound like it was within a short period of time. So I mean, the the building like um, at twelve to twenty four Lebanon Street is both a the ground floor is you know the restaurants commercial buildings business neighborhood business um, which is consistent with Maplewood. Above that is uh, residence. I mean that when you look at Maplewood Square a hundred years ago, there was a lot of the buildings there had first floor retail and and second and even third floor residential so that was a so didn't the charter school or or, or whomever they send them notices so the this charter school sent them i guess the first step i'm not you know like an eviction attorney or anything like that so but my understanding is the first step in any eviction is to give a notice to quit so basically giving someone the opportunity to leave before you evict them formally so they've given that initial notice and they're probably tenants at will the people most yeah, I, I think that that you know I, I don't know all of the legal details, but you know they've been given that notice to leave as of December thirty first. Um, you know, so that's but that's was that legal? The, I mean that so that's the question. I mean that they they um, the charter school has, as far as I know, not gone to court to you know take the next step in the eviction process. So, um, so and that you know that is uh, you know tenants have have rights as well, and there's a. Uh, and a court, a very well-defined process under state law on how you, you know, evict someone. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they're they, that's the first step in their process, and uh, it'll be up to court to decide what's legal or not. So, so, um, but yeah, I mean, that is, uh, you know, we'll we'll see um, how that plays out. But uh, well, that mm-hmm. you know, you, you, um, one of the things as as I listen to what you mentioned uh, about the eviction notice, the. the uh, if if you've got tenants on the ground floor which are commercial, yeah. and you have apartments upstairs, and the and the downstairs uh, uh, restaurants, let's say, can stay under their uh, lease uh-huh. until two thousand and twenty-three, um, and I don't know what month that particularly, yeah, but that's at least a year yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, what sense would it make to send people in December when they tr- when they're trying to offer out? Because I keep running ads in the newspaper about what a great job they do with the school and how much they're involved with what's going on in Mayport. And they, so what they turn around doing is they intimidate people to leave in, within a month in the middle of winter. I, you know, you'll really have to ask the people at the charter school of what their their thought is. I mean, obviously it's very um, not a very compassionate thing to do. And uh, maybe when well, It they, doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, like I say, they have their own their own apparently their own strategic plan that they're trying to fulfill. So, I mean, I do have to say, I mean, I just came from before, you know, coming down to UMA today. Um, today the historic commission um, decided that um, the these couple buildings, the old bank building and uh, the 12 and 24 where the restaurants are of Lebanon Street are preferably preferred. So that's going to delay any demolition of the commercial and residences for um, at least a year. And, and then there's a requirement that the building owners try to find alternatives to their proposals. So so there's a whole process. It isn't just like, you know, this is a timeout. 
but there's an obligation of the building owner, which is the charter school, to try to work towards alternatives to their proposal to demolish. Well, stay so tuned to stay see tuned what happens, because if you, if, yeah. if you made the so. national news of the local yeah, uh, television yes, yeah. channels, that exactly. means it's an interest yeah. that's maybe past yeah. Malden and... Uh, but, but we get yeah. a lot going on in Malden, and yeah. you get a lot of things yeah. to plan yeah. ahead yeah. for coming yeah. in the. No, and this is a, you know the other thing I'm working on in Maplewood and throughout the community is uh, you know working on to ex- expedite lead line removals. Okay, well, and, and storm storm rain. So maybe we can come back and talk about that. All right, we'll put you down to, for a future show. Yeah, and we, we'll, give we'll, us an we'll, update. Yeah, and maybe I appreciate you being here. Yeah, All right, that's so good. Yeah, take we're care. short of time. All right, take care. Good. Well, we talked a lot. Yeah.